Sometimes you get a coupon in the morning. It's just nothing you can do about it. Sometimes a coupon, just like, you're just like... Sometimes you read a headline less than 30 minutes after waking up and you laugh hysterically at the ceiling for 90 seconds. Not knowing really what your laughter is about and having to process that later. What headline that could be, who knows. And then after... And then after you process that, some some time later you you, some time later you, get a, you get a coupon for half off fried potatoes delivered to your door, and you go, you know what? Kind of kind of sounds like these two things are related. <laughs> these things didn't seem related, but now that they've come together like a Taoist fucking fable, I understand how I am complete. Uh. By the way, you can't hear, uh, you're going to hear some ice clinking. That's because I'm, I normally have a pitcher uh, of green tea uh, that I pour into a cup, like a, like a civilized person. But I just got dish soap. <laughs> I moved, I, I, I've, I've been here for a while, uh, and I've been out of dish soap for a while, and I just got dish soap yesterday with my delivery, so everything's soaking real good. I don't know how you guys soak. Some people only soak once. And I gotta tell ya, you people depress me. Uh, your sink has a divide in the middle for a fucking reason. And so you gotta fill up both chambers with water, and one of them's got the soapy, and one of them's got the clean, and you keep throwing them back and forth with the scrubbing. So, uh, all of the cups, everything is fucking soaking. I've already scrubbed them twice. And they're still soaking, because that's how you do it. If I had a third, I really wish I had a third sink divot at home, like they do in the professional kitchens, because then I would be fucking banging it out. Yeah, compartment, that's a good word for it. Thank you, Tammy. Section, compartment, I don't really know the terms. If I had a third one, then we'd be banging it out. So, just real quick today, there's a lot of stress going on in the world. And there's a lot of stuff going on with the headlines and the financial markets and all that. And we're not going to talk about it uh, besides the illusion that I made at the beginning. We're going to start talking about things that are just much lighter. I prepared a much lighter beginning to the show before we get into it. So let's, instead of talking about the headlines today, we're going to go back to the 1800s. And we're going to talk about something that you've probably uh, not heard about, not thought about in a long time. Uh, we're just going to get away from this crazy modern world uh, of politics, uh, of illness, and all the rest, and we're just going to go ahead and we're going to deal with a much, much simpler topic. So, in uh, in the 1850s in America, one of the biggest topics was a school shooting! A school shooting! It's a lighter topic than what's going on right now in the world! Okay, so a school shooting in 1850s. But here's the thing about a school shooting in the 1850s. One, life is not regarded the same way as it is now. Children are property and chattel. Uh, the way that we talk about the nation is we talk about not the gross domestic product, but we, how much crop, what our gross domestic, domestic crop is. And even if you read until the 1910s and 1920s, if you go and you, if you pick up a paper that was around back then, uh, if, if you look at old archives, they don't talk about the economy. They talk about the crop. The national crop yield and how much our, 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 our crop 
is valued because the industrialization has happened in America and across the world, but by and large, uh, agriculture still is the day and how much money you can make off what you grow on your farm and everything else. And so this is a very different time for people living and dying and for something to report death. This is a time where families are actually killing one another over that national crop. Because if you have the best cows in a zone, you make a lot more money if the other family farm maybe burns down if they're having a lot of cattle. This is America, and this is how it works in the 1800s. So how does a school shooting get national attention? And the answer is because it's a school shooting. And that is very novel. You see, back in the 1800s, guns are nonsense compared to now. The simple 9mm that is existent in almost every single Hollywood movie, well, that thing is a goddamn perfection of design compared to virtually every handgun in the 1800s. In fact, one of the reasons why the Wild West was so wild is because this is the first period, really, where there's any kind of reliability and rapid fire to a sidearm. Up until the late 1800s, there really isn't a ability to shoot somebody with a handgun effectively. And this is a story that takes place in the 1850s. The story and its facts are pretty basic, and you can read about them later. I'll give Ali something to post, a big article that brought my attention to this some months back. And I've been thinking about it ever since over 2020, because again, this is a period of time where people are killing each other all the time. This is a period of time where police are constantly giving interviews to reporters and the press, saying it was a simple matter, two men slashed up, neither lived, a bar fight. So how does a school shooting capture the national attention? Two boys, one age 14, one age 12, went ahead into their school and shot their teacher. They shot him for being cruel and being too much of a punisher and an authoritarian. And this is what led to the debate. See, the school shooting wasn't dramatic. It's that a gun was used as a weapon. This is as novel in the 1850s as two kids today on a robotics club getting a drone, attaching a lithium battery to it, and killing a teacher with a detonation. Imagine the headlines, if you would, if two students, after being reprimanded by a teacher, cook a drone and used it to assassinate said teacher a few days later. The stories that would come out of it. It would be a crude and obvious strange weapon, but because children had made it and used it against an authority, it would be the biggest story in the nation. And thus was the same with the handgun. The idea that somebody would take a gun, something that was used at that point pretty much exclusively for vermin, for non-human combatants, and use it against an adult was something that was not understood. Guns being an ultimate equalizer, or something that a woman could use against a man, even though this is statistically quite unlikely, is something that was not thought of at the time. A gun as something that somebody who was weak could use against somebody who was physically stronger to kill them was not in the American consciousness in any way, shape, or form. 
And thus, the idea of children getting these things and using them terrified people. This is again a period where in the 1850s, you could wrap a child across the ear. You could grab a child that wasn't yours, demand their name, demand their address, march them home, and talk to their parents. The idea of them pulling fucking heat on you is pretty goddamn intimidating. (laughs) And so the story spread very, very quickly with consternation and pearls grasped across the country. These crude devices, handguns, sidearms, really kind of newfangled throughout America. Guns existed, sure, but these are long guns, these are rifles, and these are much, much, much more accurate than handguns. These were not two kids with a rifle, which would have been the equivalent of two kids today taking a Claymore mine, taking $5,000 worth of ordnance. A rifle back then is a major investment. The man of the family knows how to use it, the woman of the family knows how to use it, the eldest son has likely been trained in it somewhere around age 10 to 12. It's not a weapon, it's a tool. The long gun of the family farm, of the frontier, is absolutely in use once a week, maybe more frequently. Vermin, predators, all the rest. Handguns are newfangled. They're the cell phones. They've been around a little while. They're increasing very rapidly in their ability, but only certain people use them, even really know about them. Everybody else is on the old analog phone. So that's what I want to take you to, that mindset of one handgun with two children killing one person took the entire American consciousness over, took the entire debate over for weeks, granted a much slower news environment, but spread across the entire nation to the point that we can still find all that correspondence in all of those essays today. Well, I want you to think about that because of the world we live in right now. Because basically, somebody today got shot with a handgun. But because they got shot with a handgun and the handgun's new, everyone's got to talk about it. It's novel. It's new information. And that new information absolutely has to take over a debate. And no matter where you are in the world right now, the person who got hit with the novel way to die is all over your headlines. There's no way to avoid it. There's no way to avoid thinking about it and all the rest. That's the bad news. The good news is is that eventually everything will change. Everything will get used to it. This is just a quick little sea change, and on the other side of it, baby, everything will be fine. Really and truly. From a cynic, from somebody who believes in kind of the darkness and the worst of humanity and the impulses sometimes, especially when we're concerned and we're navel-gazing, I promise you, all of the consternation that you're seeing right now about what happens next, what's possible, that will pass. And it will seem as silly to you, eventually, as the idea of an entire nation wondering, What if these children start murdering teachers? What if there's a future in which children and guns are very, very frequently intertwined? Can you imagine 
say, these essayists in the 1850s and 1860s, imagine, if you will, a dark, horrible American future in which you're constantly reading about children and guns and schools and murder. Can you imagine it? A dark American future in which all of these children are taking their guns and murdering the occasional teacher. That's the darkest, most horrible future that we can imagine as essayists in the 1850s and 60s. Well, that was a lot of consternation, and they talked about a lot of laws that they should spend, and there were a lot of laws passed about regulating guns, handguns, and children and all the rest. And look at the future that we actually got. <laughs> and if you could show the headlines of what our school shootings look like to those people back then, something tells me that they would be a little bit more concerned than we are now. So, yeah, it's all dark. I know. I know. I know. I said we were going to start off light, and then I went horrible. I'm a bad person, but for entertainment purposes, you laughed. It's For entertainment purposes, it's funny and satire. That way, I can't be sued. Uh, wow, okay. All right, all right. We're going to take... I didn't think it was going to land this hard. <laughs> when I was writing this, I'm like, that's good. That's good satire. Sometimes you forget good satire hurts good people. Uh... <laughs> My bad. Here's the thing about satirists. Not pleasant company. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of quotes from satirists in their off time where they're all like, "My favorite thing, humanity." You know what I love? People. <laughs> Samuel Clemens, Voltaire, uh that guy who had nothing to declare but his wit. Isn't it funny that I won't say his name? Oh, you know that they would hate that. These people aren't exactly known for their social company. His name was Oscar Wilde, and I knew it the whole time. Don't you fucking correct me, Internet. I didn't say his name because it's funny. It's a joke. All right, with that little detour complete. Seriously, though. A lot of consternation is going to be spent over the next some months, and... Uh, possibly the next year. Nobody knows what's going to come on the other side of it. Don't be too afraid. A part of you kind of suspects the worst. That part of you is probably not the worst part. Just don't give in. That's all I ask of you. As as the entertainer, as the guy who wants you to keep coming back, as as the friendly voice, as the guy who's listening to stuff now on the weekly, much more frequently than he used to, just to keep a pace of time, just to keep his fucking head above water, and all the rest. What I'm asking of you is, acknowledge the despair, don't give in. It's really, really dark to think about all, for a decade, people being terrified of school shootings, being children pulling out gats, and occasionally gatting down teachers. <laughs> compared to the horrible nightmare scape in which we live as Americans. That's, that's, that's awful. It really is. But, in the exact same way that everybody who goes on and, and has such tragedy endures, and that the future unfolds in amazing and intricate ways, in truly, sometimes the opposite ways, that the best and brightest minds can perceive. The best and brightest minds looking at a problem can sometimes predict the exact wrong outcome with the best intentions. And the exact opposite can happen as well. Your fear and your doubt can tell you everything is going to get worse, nothing is going to get better, this situation is all downhill. 
and your best information and instinct can believe that, and you can be entirely wrong. People are entirely wrong. It's, it's an aspect of every single human being that every one of them you've met has been a total piece of shit dumbass many a times, and we all keep on rambling forward. Vaguely. Usually. Somewhat. This is probably not as encouraging as it could have been, granted. But, I, like I said, I laughed hysterically for like 90 seconds after reading a headline. And then, you know, I had to make do with it. And then I also had work. So, you know, this is what I could write. What I could write in that period of time is, The despair is there. I'm not going to pretend it's not. There's all these feelings and swirling around. You should feel them. They're real feelings. You're not allowed to give in to the worst of them. Your thoughts and feelings are not who you are. Who you are is what you do with your thoughts and feelings. And what I want you to do is just keep going, process them, acknowledge them, keep moving forward. I believe in you. Okay. <sighs> no, you're dying. No, you're dying telling you. That's what's going to be on his fucking tune. That's his final words. You're dying. You're dying. That's what he does. I'm trying to, well, I'm trying to survive. Now that, now that I put that in there, that's the only word that came in after I put that ellipses in. I'm trying to dot, 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 and the only thing that Google auto-filled in is survive. Surv exist. Continue. That's all. There's, yeah. Maybe I should just get off that line then. Okay. Ha! Huh. I think I had other things to talk about, but maybe I shouldn't. Let's just get on with the show. Fuck it. Uh, what do you all come here for, anyway? <clears throat> I have been in love more times than one, thank the Lord. Sometimes it was lasting, whether active or not. Sometimes it was all but ephemeral. Maybe only an afternoon, but not less real than that. They stay in my mind, these beautiful people, or anyway, beautiful people to me, of which there are so many. You, and you, and you, whom I've had the fortune to meet, or maybe missed. Love, love, love. It was the core of my life, for which, of course, comes the word from my heart. And, oh, have I mentioned that some of them were men, and some were women, and some now carry my revelation with you, were trees, or places, or music flying above the names of their makers, or clouds, or the sun, which was the first and the best, the most loyal for certain, who looked so faithfully into my eyes every morning, so I imagined such love of the world, its fervency, its shining, its innocence and hunger, to give of itself. I imagine this is how 
it began. Of Love, Mary Oliver. <clears throat> one second, just one second while something's flying overhead. Take my hand. There are two of us in this cave. The sound you hear is water. You will hear it forever. The ground you walk is on rock. I have been here before. People come here to be born, to discover, to kiss, to dream, and to dig, and to kill. Watch for the mud. Summer blows with scent of the horses and the roses. Fall with the sound of sound breaking. Winter shoves its empty sleeve down the dark of your throat. You well learn toads from diamonds, the fist from the palm, love from the sweat of love, falling from flying. There are a thousand turnoffs. I have been here before. Once I fell off a precipice, once I found gold, once I stumbled on murder, the thin parts of a girl. Walk on. Keep walking. There are axes above us. Watch for the occasional bits of bubbles of light. Birthdays for you, recognitions, yourself, another. Watch for the mud. Listen for bells, for beggars. Something with wings went crazy against my chest once. There are two of us here. Touch me. The Blind Leading the Blind by Lisselle Muller. L-I-S-E-L Muller. I am your guide here. In the evening, dark morning streets, I point and name. Look, the sycamores, their molted, paint-by-number bark. Look, the leaves rusting and crippling at the edges. I walk through Schiller Park with you on my chest. Stars smolder well in the daylight. Look, the pond, the ducks, the dogs paddling after their prize sticks. Fall is when the only things you know because I've named them begin to end. Soon I'll have another season for offer you. Frost, soft on the window, and a porthole side there, ice-sleeving the bare gray branches. The first time you see something die, you won't know it might come back. I'm desperate for you to love the world, because I brought you here. Well, that's a sweet one. First Fall by Maggie Smith. Well, if it's the first fall, Maggie, the baby's not going to catch everything you're pointing at. You gotta wait till the second or third fall, Maggie. Maggie. Maggie, has no one told you about the babies and their lantern? They don't... You can't tell a baby to look at anything, Maggie. They don't understand the command. <clears throat> <clears throat> Uh, I'm just trying to understand what's happening here. There's some formatting. Okay. Autumn. Gold of amber, red of ember, brown of umber, all September. McCoy Creek. Over the bright shallows, now over flights of swallows, leave none of the shivering willow, dangle thin and yellow. October. At four in the morning, the west wind moved in the leaves of the beech tree with the long rush of patter of water, first wave of the dark tide coming in. 
solstice of the longest night of all the year, in the forest up the hill, the little owl spoke soft and clear to bid the night be longer still. The woodwinds of May are soft and restless in their leafy garments. The rustles and sway make every moment movement. Hail, the dogwood cowered under the thunder, and the lilacs burned like light itself against the storm-black sky until the hail whitened the grass with petals. Okay, now it makes sense. Six Quatrains by Ursula K. Le Guin. Ah, uh, she's like, oh, gosh, it's so much work to write a novel. Let's just do poetry instead. My husband's out of town, so I set our house on fire. Champagne and eggs and asparagus for breakfast. Water for lunch. I eat dinner early in the late afternoon while the wind disorganizes leaves, leaving me to clean them up. I think that the imagination's guided by logic. A hand that used to translating images of rain into snow. Air-filled, the night destroys the details of poems, the pearls worn by Beethoven in secret, the rocks H.D. mistook for seaweed as she walked in exhilaration towards the beach. Is it possible to sing the imagination into being? And if it is possible for us to valorize autumn by cloaking in difficult language the path of stars, geraniums, they make entrances out of air as I walk past them. Always these goddamn leaves and acorns shat on our house by that goddamn oak. One of us will fail, the other will plagiarize language from the other. That's certain. Acorns are beautiful only to those who have never had to clean them up. In the Dark Again, Sarah Nicholson. I didn't. Are acorns beautiful? Yeah, that one was pretty interesting. I set fire to my house today. I fucking hate cleaning up acorns. I understand that poetic journey. I do. I do. I'm not being sarcastic. I get it. I wake up like, fuck it all. I'm going to fucking build a bomb and just blow this goddamn place up. And then like three and a half hours later, be like sweeping. Like, I understand that poetic journey. I'm not being sarcastic at all. I totally get it. <laughs> I would never write it that way, which is why I'm not the poet. But I, now that I've had it explained to me that way, 100% do I understand that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm with it. Okay. <clears throat> In my dreams, I lasso a wild steer on my first try. I chauffeur Picasso and meet up with Dolly. None of us is happy about the summit. <laughs> I, after licking my fingertips, I play guitar masterfully. I use index cards to make sense of the universe. I discover my childhood cat in the neighbor's tree. So that's where you've been, you rascal. I beg the alligator, por favor, to make a snap judgment. Will it be my leg or my arm? Picture me swimming with dolphins. Picture me with these dolphins sitting in lawn chairs. I'm full of gratitude. The light bulb comes on when the refrigerator door is opened. Yes, I'm the scientist who solved laryngitis.
Now all of us howl at our own pleasure. I get to throw a trophy from a moving car. When I park my car, I'm awarded another trophy. Another above is giving me a second chance. In Praise of Dreams, Gary Soto. That was a very sweet poem, and thank you to any, every, whoever suggested it, so please don't think I'm making fun of it before I go into this last poem. But I am immediately reminded of a comedian from the 90s who says, I can't stand it when people tell me about their dreams. They might as well just go, hey, here's some shit that didn't happen. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> I've thought of that ever since. It's like, it is true. You might as well say, here's some shit that never happened. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> it's fine if we're dating and you tell me. Then we're in bed together and I have a stake in it. But if we're like co-workers and you tell me about a dream, what the fuck? Hey, asshole, I asked you what you did this weekend because sometimes you see a cool band. I definitely didn't want to hear about you and Edith Head in Dreamland, you fuckwad. There are limits. <laughs> oh, quick super story. Oh, I haven't thought about this in forever. Here's a story about how Daddy, before he reads his last poem, get your quick quotes ready. Here's a quick, quick story about how Daddy had to turn down a guy. Oh, he was such a sweet, cute guy, too. So Daddy doesn't quite swing that way. <laughs> And uh, this is a co-worker story. So uh, I was just uh, at this uh, call center, just work a day in, and uh, I got conscripted to just sort of like show eight people the ropes. It was pretty common back then, just for like two weeks. And so I did. And I was talking to this guy, and he was really like disaffected and quiet, and so I was trying not to talk to him that much because, boy, do I feel that at fucking work. Uh, but then the one thing that I connected to him with was he wore this big fucking black jacket with huge red lettering on the back. So it was very noticeable. And it looked like a pretty nice jacket on a pretty, you know, on a guy who didn't have a lot of nice clothes. And it said Psycho Billy. P-S-Y-C-H-O-B-I-L-L-Y. Psycho Billy on the back. And it had some band names. And I looked at this word Psycho Billy and I didn't know it. And I looked at it and I kind of looked confused and I, I, I asked him... Psychobilly, is that like rockabilly? And he looked at me, and is for the first time, like, he looked at me, even though we had, you know, spent some time together. Like, he looked at me for the first time. He's like, oh, you know what rockabilly is? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know what rockabilly is. Fuck yeah, I grew up in the country. We know, of course I know what fucking rockabilly is. Is that like, what is that? Like, what's psychobilly? He's like, it's like hardcore rockabilly. It's like, you know, like electric guitar. It's like hardcore rockabilly. And so, like, he gets all excited, he tells you about it, he brings me a fucking album, and, like, that's back when you bring people physical discs and shit. He brought me the album, and we talked and all that. Uh, and then, like, at the end of it, I guess he thought that my interest <laughs> was more than an interest in learning about Psychobilly. And at the last day that we were going to be in physical contact with another, he asked me out. And I was like, oh, thank you. I can't. I, from the bottom of my heart, I need you to know this. You're a really nice guy, but 
I could never date anybody with such shitty musical taste. Okay, here's the last poem. I'm watching an old movie in one corner of my laptop, and another in the shadows nestling in your neck, the flickering frequencies of your sweater, the remember of Jack Nicholson tagline in the movie we almost watched and then decided against, fearing the little taser of misogyny. You make me want to be a better person. Sometimes the only thing I want is to say marry me, even though we both think marriage is archaic and weird, or at least for us. It's not marry me, I want to say, but rather weld with me, like a net we also sit in. Oh, FaceTime face and shadow neck are almost sync sound of our shared watching. You have a list of things that are going to be the death of you, and so do I, which we cover in our debriefings. All of this is to say that distance makes my heart go farther into the terrain of heartfelt, and I love it. How ordinarily classifiable it is, like feeling literal fugitives, like feeling literal figurative butterflies in your stomach. The good being fundamental. Surprising love can happen at any part of one's life, like the pixels deciding when to flicker into bursts. Like an auto-tune of authentic love by Carmine Jimenez Smith. Quick quotes. I feel like a goddamn ogre drinking out of this. But I guess that's why it's got the handle. This reminds me a long time ago. I was hung over in a hotel room in Europe. And I they, they had shitty like little 8-ounce plastic cups and nothing else. And so I... I mean, I, I did a good job scrubbing out, I promise. But I did pour out and drink out of a vase from that hotel room. I did make the vase my main cup. (laughs) This is who you think you want to date. No, you don't. This is who you think you want to date. No, you don't. Okay. I missed you today, baby girl. Come here and let daddy cuddle you and give you kisses. You did so well last week, baby girl. Now lay down, and you will be rewarded. Happy birthday, baby girl. Now bend over. I'm seeing a recurring theme here. You made it through your week, baby girl. You did very well. Come sit in daddy's lap, and we can snuggle and rest. It's all right. You're doing well. You are such a good girl for me, Sierra. You've been working so hard, sweetheart. Now come here, so Daddy can make you feel real good. (laughs) 
you're doing such a great job, and Daddy is very proud of you. Daddy's right here, baby. Fuck. You feel so good. Oh, baby girl. Slower. <laughs> Finishing up, if you don't have any more quotes for daddy. New girls especially, we love it when you come out and say hello. You got a little thing coming, baby girls. Don't leave me hanging. I'll never sing again. Oh, all right, that's the covenant. I got to the end of the song, so I never have to sing again. I didn't get enough quick quotes, so now I literally never have to sing again. Did you not hear the covenant in the song? You let me get to the end of it, so now it is binding. Mm. That's the rules of the song. Don't make the song a liar. You saw what happened to the Von Trapp family. I didn't. I never watched that fucking movie. No more quick quotes? All right. Fuck you, no, I've never seen The Sound of Music. Fuck no, I haven't seen The Sound of Music. Come on, man, even as a kid I had taste. Swiss Family Robinson over Sound of Music every day of the week. <clears throat> when I was a mere slip of a thing, Mother taught me that orgasms can't tolerate humans. The scent of sweat mingling with perfume, the sounds of haunting moans. When the time comes for you to enter a body, resist for all you're worth. Like the pilot of a plane circling over a city, looking out the small lives below. When at last you touch ground, stay for an instant before taking to the air again, laughing at the pathetic people rush for their doors and cry out like abandoned children. No passengers are ever allowed to board. Me, I love pungent humans. I cannot resist their call. Like snow in winter, I fall haplessly slowly before dissolving into the river at the moment of contact. The loss of myself is always unbearable. That was a strange thing. Confessions of an Orgasm by Nin Andrews. Anything that begins with when I was young, my parents told me about orgasms is going to go someplace. That's going to go places. Why are you all giving me eye emojis now? I just read it. I'm not the one who wrote that. <laughs> Did you all not hear the first line when I was a slip of a thing my mother told me about orgasms? That's how. That's the first line of that fucking thing I just read. Did you not hear it? <laughs> that's how it started. Do you feel... Sorry, one more second. I need... I need... <clears throat> I was, a, I was a young slip of a thing. I wasn't ready. <clears throat> Do you feel me near you, precious girl? 
Do you feel my hand on your tummy, pulling your little body close to mine? Did you feel my breath on your neck as I whispered in your ear? Did you? Did your body shake? Did your mind quake when you thought of me? Did I caress you tenderly? Or did I take you roughly? Was my hand on your throat applying gentle pressure, reminding you that I own you, your body, your mind, and even your soul, that place deep within you that you think of as dark and broken and wrong? That is where I truly know you. That is where the beauty within you that you do not see. You are my pet, my child, my love. I know that I hold you in my thoughts and caress you with my mind for always and forever, baby girl, you belong to me. Did You Feel Me? by Marcus Collins uh. <laughs> Sorry, I'll explain what that laughter is in a second. I think I think that's it for non-love letters. I think we're on to love letters now. Okay. I mean, I guess that last one could be a love letter. I guess they both could be, but I don't like saying that my mom taught me about orgasms as a love letter, technically speaking. Am I a prude? Have I discovered that I'm finally a prude? Will people listen to this in 50... I'm just kidding. People listening to me in 50 years. Will people listen to this in 50 years and be like, what a prude. What a prude. Mommy, teach me about orgasms, please. It's the year 2070. Mommy, mommy. I cannot tell you the compassion I have felt for all your suffering for these weeks past that you have so many drawbacks, nor the gratitude I have felt for the cheerful and affectionate looks you have given me when I know you have been miserably uncomfortable. My heart has often been too full to speak or take any notice. I am sure you know I love you well enough to believe that I mind your suffering nearly as much as I should my own, and I find the only relief to my own mind is to take it as from God's hand, and to try and believe that all suffering and illness is meant to help us exalt our minds, and to look forward with hope to a future stage. When I see your patience, deep compassion for others, self-command, and above all gratitude for the smallest things done to help you, I cannot help the longing that these precious feelings should offer to heaven for the sake of your daily happiness. But I find it difficult enough in my own case. I often think of the words, Thou shalt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on there. It is a feeling, and not a reasoning, that drives one to prayer. I feel presumptuous in writing thus to you. I feel in my inmost heart your admirable qualities, and the feeling of all I would hope is that you might direct them upwards, as well as to one who values them above everything in the world. I shall keep this by me till I feel cheerful and comfortable again about you, but it has passed through my mind often lately, so I thought I would write it partly to relieve my own mind. Interesting. Love Letter from Emma Darwin to Charles Darwin. They had a really interesting correspondence. I had no idea. I've never read an Emma Darwin letter before. Hmm. 
That was very familiar. So they must have been writing each other a lot. All right. So I laughed at this one because just at the title, I I often don't know what I'm getting into. Uh, but with this one, but with this one, uh, I just 100 percent uh, knew what I'm getting into just from the title. And so I'm just going to read you the title because it made me buff, bust out laughing. <clears throat> Gay Love Letters. Okay. Here we go. <clears throat> I don't know why that's so funny, but it is. They're just love letters. They're just love letters. It's not. It's just. No, 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 no. Don't don't feel bad. It's just, you know, it's, it's just like there was a tweet like, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And it was something like gay marriage. Or as I like to call it, marriage. That's all. Uh, <laughs> That's all. That's it. We all move forward. So I laughed because it was innocent. I assure you. I think it's very sweet. My dear John, I suppose it is difficult for you as it is for me to write this letter. What is to say, and how much to say, the adroit inference that is self-consciously planned. It is all vastly complicated, and I can't pretend to understand a quarter of it. One has, of course, a few clues. One, I miss you. That is only natural, I suppose, but worse, I feel miserable without you and regret the times I was unkind and certain. That, again, is only human. Two, I keep on seeing you everywhere I go in Brighton. Your head or hands or body appear suddenly, flash forward, and then I hear your voice. I am full of ghosts. And then there it is, three. It is not enough to remember. But my mind insists upon recreating moments that we should have experienced and wondering if life is going to allow us to, like midnight bathing. I bathe naked in a warm and darkened sea in the early hours of the morning, and this afternoon bathed in the same sea naked again. I'm brown all over. I'm too dazed and quite unable to make plans. I hope we shall be able to see each other again. My dear Colin, it seems very strange to see your name beginning this letter all last week I took pleasure whenever there was an immediate contact between us. That meant judging your mood, or that the moment, watching your first reaction, that I take most delight in, the moment when an idea bridges two people, an electric moment when a world, an idea, without necessarily being deep, joins one to another, when the word doesn't have to be formed or spoken, and then it is even more exhilarating. That happened between us many more times than once, I think. In comparison, a letter is a poor substitute. What I thought might happen is happening. I already distrust and disbelieve all that I felt we achieved when we were together. Why? I'm not quite sure. Perhaps there was a strong link forged. Perhaps it is an unconscious effort at protection, in case you no longer believe in it. Send me a sane letter or even a flippant, not earnest like this. My dear John, what a strange and curious letter. Why should you be afraid of such a normal reaction to last week? We may go well down in a cataclysm of thunder, guts, and tears for having nothing at the end of it, all to remember. 
I don't think life bothers or even worries about what we secretly want. It gives us something quite different from what we ask for, and then, of course, we can always play that delightful game of adaptability. When one is about ninety, bald, paunchy, and addled, and maybe wise, one can't cry like the young or long like the frustrated because one has adapted to oneself. And that is probably a living death. Which is all to say that if you want something enough, scream for it until you get it. Don't, don't be reasonable. Love is a rare enough, after all, for one to tear at one's own guts in order to get it. We all play that game to some degree or another. You know I believe, think, feel that something real did happen last week. I don't think I've doubted it once. But I think it can die through undernourishment. Quickly. So if you can, and if you can bear me washing, ironing, packing, why don't you come down next weekend and leave Monday? Dear Colin, I was in a daze all last week. I couldn't get you from my mind. I was more than miserable, and I felt frustrated that we were so far apart, and that, at that moment, if we had been together... We could have been very happy. I found myself looking for you in the street, in cafes, at the theater, hoping by some strange quirk of chance you'd been able to come to town. Colin. Liebchen. I never doubted what happened last week. I simply couldn't stop wondering if it had affected you as it had me. I was afraid to say, I want to be with you. See, here, I'm shying. Because I really want to say... I love you. And that is true. I want us to find time to explore that because we'd be very happy. Very often. Last week, for the first time for many months, I gained confidence in myself. That was your work. You did it in many ways. The summer started last week. I'm coming down at the weekend, if it's still all right. I'll give you a hand in packaging and preparing. Please, though, not too much of that. Leave some time for lying in the sun, bathing, being happy. Love Letters Between Colin Spencer and John Tasker Uh, one link to the tip jar would be nice before we get involved with this month. I appreciate you very much, darling. Thank you very much. Everybody, please thank Allie for all that she did for us. She had to do so much work this week. Uh, we're not going to get into it, uh, behind-the-scenes stuff. But she she was just run ragged, and then I didn't help at all with my productivity schedule. And she did it all like a champ. And then had a chicken sleep on her head. We don't pay her enough. Thank you very much, Allie, for all that you do. We appreciate you very, very, very much. I appreciate you very, very much. Thank you, Allie. <clears throat> Serious funny smut. Serious funny smut. The girls who are here get to vote. What are we doing? Yeah, I kind of figured funny was going to win. The funny smut is shorter. 
Yeah, it's been one of those weeks, huh? All right, all right, all right, all right. All right, all right! If you just let me get to the can open, I'll feed you. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> I wriggled back and forth in my seat. Ooh, I don't know what this narrator is. I shouldn't use that voice. I wriggled back and forth in my seat, gazing up at the couple in front of me. I'm going to talk about an Asian couple I'm unreasonably attracted to at the end of this. The way their bodies were moving together, the way their skin seemed to melt together, their moans, their gasps, those linked hands, those linked bodies... I really hope that this isn't like a weenie hut. <clears throat> I couldn't take my eyes off the scene unfolding in front of me. They had been far too it had been far too long since I had a chance to experience that kind of lust. Since I'd split with my ex nearly six months before and politely sworn off men for life. Or at least until I can find a man who made me come again. I had tried to convince myself, that's every man writing a lesbian, I tried to convince myself that I wasn't craving sex, or anyone really, that I could strike out into the world all by myself and prove my success as an independent woman. But that was not what these weekly solo cinema trips had been in aid of. Dates for myself, self-care, an indulgence for me and me alone, but as I watched those bodies grinding, on the enormous screen in front of me, I knew I needed something. I slipped out of my seat and ducked down the stairs that led to the bathroom in the small retro cinema that I attended every week. It had been open for decades and usually showed some pretty interesting movies, in this case an art classic that seemed to be about 40% writhing flesh and the sound of a man letting out those long, low growls of want. Uh... As someone who's seen a lot of indie movies, I fucking wish that's what they turned into. I watched a whole movie about a woman naked in bed just to see breasts. It was called Pillow Book. It was not worth it. It had been a long time since I had heard them, and it turned me on more than I could handle. I would steal off to the bathroom and slip my hand into my panties and relieve myself, making it so I could actually focus on the plot once more. Something caught my attention from the corner of my eye. <laughs> it's like a horror story. I whipped around, feeling as though I'd been caught in the act of something, and realized that I was standing next to the projector's booth. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yeah, 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 I like it too. A small window allowed the flicker of the old-fashioned projector to escape. That must have been what caught my eye. I was about to move on and continued the bathroom when I saw something else that made me stop in my tracks. A projectionist! A man, a little older than me. Dark hair, strong jaw, arms that were toned, but not bulging. His eyes were fixed to the screen, and I could see his hand moving just below the line of sight. My jaw dropped. Was he... It was just then that he looked up at me, and our eyes locked, and I knew that he had seen me with our eyes locked. He stopped what he was doing, strode over to the door that divided us. That's confident. My heart was racing. He had just the same reaction as me. <laughs> he pulled the door open. He 
He looked even better without the pane of glass between us. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny, but it is. I just, I want to imagine a woman looking at a guy through a glass door. Like, ugh. And then she opens the door, she sees him, and she's like, hmm. <laughs> well, hello. <laughs> I let my eyes travel down his body. I could see the bulge in his pants. And I felt the heat grow even more intense. Can I help you? He asked, and I let my gaze land back on his face. <laughs> yeah. I replied, I think you can. And with that... I stepped over the threshold, pushed the door shut behind me, and pressed my body against his, knowing that I was fugly through the glass. He didn't need any further invitation. At once his hands were enmeshed in my hair as he kissed me for the first time. Ooh. I don't like that. Oh, the idea of me putting my hands in a woman's hair for the first kiss is weird, even if she caught me jerking off, which is kind of what you all technically have done. Thanks for coming out to the show. <laughs> the foreplay had been that film shared between us, and we were both more than ready to take it further. He wasted no time, already hard. He pushed up the hem of my dress and let it drape over my hips, reaching between my legs to rip off my underwear in one swift motion. I grabbed his hands and guided to my wetness, letting him feel me, feel how ready I was for this. He moved his mouth to my neck and dipped his fingers inside of me, teasing me. And then, just like that, he whipped me around. Wow. Okay so that I was leaning on the projector counter. I was able to see the gorgeous sex scene that had gotten me into the state of play in front of me. He ran his hands over my ass, squeezing his fingers into my flesh, and he let out that growl. That growl that had driven me crazy through speakers and made it even hotter in person. Huh? What? What? When did she hear his growl? When did she hear the projectionist in the... What the fuck? <laughs> this is just the author talking about a dude's sexy... She... This is just the author suddenly putting a sexy growl in. That's... That was... That really throws me. Because, I mean, like, I was like, yeah, you love my sexy growl, don't you? But I... There's no growling. I'm not a projectionist. No, she's still. He ran his hands over my ass, squeezing his fingers into my flesh, and he let out that growl, that growl that had driven me crazy through speakers and made me even hotter in person. He lets out the growl. So the projectionist is growling into the fucking theater speakers is what this sentence is saying. He's sitting there jerking off and like occasionally just like, <laughs> and she's all like, that's, that's in the movie. That makes sense. I heard the rip of a condom, and then the pressure of his length sliding inside me. This is the most passive fucking sex scene. <laughs> I gasped, the sounds melding with the ones coming from the screen in front of us, but the sensation was anything but celluloid. 
He held my hips tight as he moved into me, taking me hard, not holding back, just like the man on the screen in front of us was doing. Seeing that reflection of us in front of me just made it all that sexier. I could feel every moment. Take in every sensation. I began to move back against him. Oh, there we go. Rolling my hips and taking him in deeper. I didn't even know this man's name. It struck me suddenly. And I didn't care one bit. Right now, we didn't need names. We needed passion, feeling. We needed to play these roles for each other. I could feel myself arching closer to release that I needed so badly. The mix of the actual sensation mixed with the visual stimulation was more than I could take. I pressed my hands into the glass in front of me for leverage and watched the woman on the screen before me. I felt her last gasp, the clenching of her muscles, the ache, the burning need, and the release as it came at the exact same time as he did. And I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read the full author title here. Here we go. At the movies by Clara, same author as after the concert. Thanks, Clara. I hope that you don't think we're too mean. <clears throat> At the time it happened. I was into the fourteenth years of my marriage. I am a typical vanilla girl. <laughs> These two sentences come in together. Boy, one more time. At the time it happened, I was into the fourteenth years of my marriage. I am a typical vanilla girl, unadventurous and shy. <laughs> Just like any other conservative oriental girl. I have not heard oriental as a word to describe a person in the entire 21st century. Like, I haven't had to say oriental is a rug, not a person. In 20 years, I haven't had to say that shit. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Boy, I wish there was some alcohol in that tea right about now. Here we go! <laughs> then came that day. It was our wedding anniversary, and my husband had brought me to a hotel for some drinks. Knowing full well that he had some cheeky thoughts, I asked what plans did he have in store. He simply replied, something to blow you away. So after a few rounds, I got tipsy and he brought me to one of the hotel rooms. Just when I was thinking to myself that this isn't anything special, I quickly saw another man in the room. Well, apparently my husband had gotten me a male masseur. Well, this is new, I thought, as began what the future he would remember as an amazing trip. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for telling us the story gets better. <laughs> I had a quick shower and laid as advertised, covering my towel on the fresh sheets. The masseur wasn't bad looking as I caught a quick... Boy, these women are throwing shade. As a quick glance of him as I turned to face down. My husband sat on a nearby couch while the masseur started to oil his hands 
and began rubbing my bare shoulders. At the beginning, it was just your regular back rub, and I was still covered with towel on my back. But it was as advanced as the monsieur would occasionally slip his hands under the covered towel and gently brush the sides of my breast slightly. I was still tipsy from all the alcohol, so I just let it be. As things got heated up, the man slowly turned me facing up and removed the towel, covering the last of my modesty. I found myself totally naked in front of another man, and he started massaging my exposed breasts. I was shocked at first, but the feeling was quite welcoming, so I just laid there and allowed my breast to be caressed along with the massage. But I closed my eyes! Gradually, I sensed the touch of the masseur getting more intense as he began to focus on my breasts, and now my protruding nipples. For the entire time, my husband was watching my breasts and nipples being fondled, sucked, and played with by another man. Slowly, the man reached out to play with my clit. I was naturally moaning uncontrollably at the time with his mouth feasting on my breasts, his tongue dancing with my nipples, and his fingers rubbing my wet clit. Before I knew it, the man thrusted his fingers into me, and he navigated his fingers inside my private part and his lips and tongue explored all over my neck body. That's, that's what's written, all over my neck body. I felt as it myself had been laid open and vulnerable, but I could no longer resist. My moaning intensified as I was being touched and have an orgasm right in front of my husband. The masseur continues with my boy. <sighs> One more time, I'm going to read it as written. The masseur continues with my boy like it was a buffet spread around while I was feeling soft and lost. Obviously, body. Body. Boy. Body. Obviously. There's a D missing. Body. Boy. Settle down. I'm just reading. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> all right. I thought you all would laugh, but then everybody who's reading, who's here live, like, freaked out. I thought they would all know that boy was just a typo for body, clearly, in context. So let me just read it that way so that everybody could take a step back and breathe again. <laughs> the masseur continued with my body like it was a buffet spread out while I was feeling soft and lost. <laughs> and then looked at me with intensity. My breath was short and I let out a moan that sounded like a call for him to continue. Sounds like you called for him to continue, passive narrator. He positioned himself between my legs and made his way in. That's how you would say it in like a court of law if you were in trouble. Like, that's how you would say it to Judge Judy. Judge Judy's like, did you ask him to continue? And you'd be like, I made a sound that'd be like I wanted him to, but I didn't ask him. Judge Judy would be like, don't piss on my leg and tell me that it's a hurricane. <sighs> I gasped. At the first end. Oh my god. I'm going to read that sentence again. And then I'm going to read this paragraph. I need, I need a breath. Here we go. I've never read. I've read a lot of shitty porn. This is a real sentence. Okay, one more time. The monsieur continued with my body like it was a buffet spread while I was feeling soft and lost. Then he looked at me with intensity. My breath was short, and I let out a moan that sounded like a call for him to continue. He positioned himself between my legs, and he made his way inside me. I gasped at the first entrance of our wet genitals making contact. 
I started wriggling uncontrollably as he inched slowly into my wet vagina. I opened my eyes ever so slightly to take a peek, and I could see from his expression that he was clearly enjoying every inch of his penetration. My mouth was uncontrollably opening wider as he buried his fully erect penis deeper into wet me. When he reached the depth of me, I let out a loud moan as I came. He continued his in-and-out movements while holding me down my hands and sucking my breasts harder and harder until each time I screamed from orgasm to orgasm. I pretty much had laid bare unrestricted for him to enjoy my body while my husband watched his wife getting ravaged by another man. <sighs> That's amazing. That's amazing. All of that lead-up was, and then he got all the way inside me. <laughs> he got all the way inside me, and then I came, and then he touched me after he was inside me, so I came more. Like, teach me that power. No, don't. Oh my god, no, don't. Already women are like, stop. Stop fucking me. Stop. Ah. If I made them come this when I was just getting inside them, then they would be like that sooner. So I would hate, that would be even worse for me. Just going to be real. Women here who are brave enough to admit, have you ever been in that situation? Have you ever gotten too much of a dick? Not too much dick in general. Not if there's multiple men in the room. Have you ever had a guy fuck you for too long and you're like, you have to stop. You have to stop. You have to stop now. Now. Stop. God damn it. Yeah, it, it's more frequent than you think. It happens, it happens more frequently than you think, right? Yeah, but I don't. So I sat there lazy and confused for a while. Then my husband came up to me. That's all too familiar. Penis of my husband suddenly felt like it was reinvigorated, like he was a beast and his thrust felt different, full of energy and desire for me. My voice had cracked from the screaming, and I was sweating and almost felt like my body was cramping from an orgasm when my husband finally came inside me. After that, I can only lay there, dazzled by this unexpected experience. The male masseur, masseuse, masseur, masseuse, masseur. Is it masseuse or masseur? The erotic story of a couple's anniversary by Mira, no last name. That's it. This is the story of a woman getting drunk and railed by a male prostitute pretending to be a masseuse. Well, I mean, that's what he definitely, like, women, if you ask your man to find a man to have sex with you, and you want him to have a skill set, the man's going to find a man to have sex with you, and then if he has that skill set, great. Otherwise, just, uh, just fake that you have that skill set, because it's about the sex. We're not, we're not good people, men. We're not great partners. We don't run things well. We're all Boris Johnson. Every last one of us. Every last one of us is just Boris Johnson. Whenever you think the man in your life is better than Boris Johnson, just listen to what Boris Johnson said that day and then apply it to your man in his accent and his vernacular. Because we're all just Boris Johnson. And don't fucking forget it.
Right, threesome. All right, I can do that. Yeah. Tell you what I'll do. Get a man. Fuck you real good. Yeah. All right. Neck back? It wasn't neck back, it was neck body. Neck body, right? Yee? Bit of that, huh? Uncovered breasts, all the way in, make a cum, lick her tits, yee. Oh, I'm sorry, he's English, he can't, he can't say that. Oh, is that, is that Australian? Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. Oh, no! Oh, no, we're Australian! Oh, <laughs> I did tell the I, nigh story on the podcast, right? It's one of the funniest fucking things I've ever heard. Oh, man. I know. I still think about that sometimes. <laughs> All right. I'm going to do one serious piece of smut to play us out. Thank you to everybody who came on out. Thank you to everybody who submitted something. Thank you to everybody who put something into the kitty. Thank you to everybody who spread the word. I appreciate you all very, 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 very much. Got a lot of kind words and a lot of support this week. Out of nowhere, uh, wasn't expected, and I just appreciate it all. So, thank you. Uh, I've actually been doing pretty okay uh, with it all. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with it, and I'm surfing the chaos like everybody else. But I really do feel pretty well equipped to surf the chaos. Uh, when, when your life's always in a state of transition, it never is, essentially. And in, in that regard, I hope that I put some smiles on your face and all the rest. Before I play us out with this, just one more time, I'm, I'm kneading it into my work and everywhere uh, that, I, that I go digitally for a reason. Your feelings are valid. There's a there's a lot of there's a lot of messaging going on right now that's only the positive things get better or things will get stronger or yada yada yada. There's only that messaging going on in my, a lot of my cord, uh, corridors in the media and, and conversations. And I understand why people are saying that, but it's also bullshit. And if you've been listening to me this long, you're more adult than that and you can handle worse. So Things are bad, and there's nothing wrong with admitting that things fucking suck. Either within you, inner turmoil, or outer situations. There's a lot of power, in fact, in admitting, this sucks, and I'm going to beat it anyway. There's a lot of power in that mindset. Don't get me wrong. If you don't want to embrace it, if that's not for you, if just bobbing and weaving is, is your survival mechanism right now, I encourage you. You know your survival mechanisms. I don't. You know you. I don't know you. You can manage it, and I hope that you do. But for everybody out there who's, who's, who's just staggering a little bit, who feels like they're just punch drunk, who feels like they're just getting hammered and they don't know where the next hit's going to come from or how hard it's going to be, I encourage you. Those feelings are okay. The disorientation the confusion, the, the frequent flights of fancy and escapism that you're probably engaging in more than usual, all the rest of it, all okay, all natural. Embrace it, feel it, accept it, but then find your center, your center. I don't know what it is or where it is, 
And from your center, who you define yourself to be, from where you define yourself in your life to be, find a way to make today, tomorrow, this week, your relationships, your projects, your backlog, the things you have to do. Find a way to make them you and you them. And get through it. If nothing else, you cannot tell me that news can come out and affect you negatively. But it's not possible for there to be news that comes out that affects you positively. Let's hang on for that news, too. Yes? I acknowledge that news is coming out that's affecting you negatively. But as it is, you must accept that there might be news that comes out that really bolsters you. What it could be or what it is, who knows? Let's hang on for that. Okay, one last piece of smart to play us out. <clears throat> she shivered a little as she felt the air swirl around the room, signaling that the door had opened. No lights filtered in through her thick blindfold. No noise reached her ears despite how hard she strained to hear. Her hands flexed behind her back, the thick rope abrasive against her soft skin. A hand brushed across her cheek, making her jump heart surging in her chest. She blinked rapidly, waiting for the next move, fingers trailing down the braid, and she whimpered softly. A hand roughly gripped her face. Did I tell you to make a noise? A male voice said. She stood her head as much as she could in her grip. No, I didn't. So what are you not going to do? No, did we, did we do this one last week? Okay, my bad. See, I don't remember what I do. I just read it. Oh, stop it! <laughs> A bunch of girls just said, just read it again. Stop it! <laughs> what the hell is that? Don't make me Keith Raniere. Don't make me Keith Raniere from Nexium. That's how he began. First look up Keith Raniere, and then don't make me him. But that's how you form a Keith Raniere, is a bunch of women going, Just read us the same story again every week, Daddy. We love it. And eventually he's all like, You know what? I do deserve an extra million dollars for forcing abortions. <laughs> I don't know how the jump comes, but that's, that's always where it begins. It's always some asshole Gyllenhaalin. You know? It's always some guy going, come out to my land. Let's see what happens. Guys, I know that you're all concerned about Trump and shit. But once again, Jake Gyllenhaal's got a cult island. Won't somebody stop him? This is like the, president of this is like the premise of Resident Evil 4. Somebody has to stop Jake Gyllenhaal. I know, because I could be Jake Gyllenhaal, and I know what I would do with you if I had you on an island in uniforms. And it's not good. It's really not good. If I had you all on an island with uniforms, it would be really bad. I'm talking really bad. I'm talking franchisement. I'm talking corporate code of conduct. I'm talking forced arbitration. 
in your in your fucking in your fucking contracts. I'm talking at least two layers of management between owners and you and anybody who can make a difference at your company. Uh, probably a little bit of wage theft. Uh, you know your basic corporate operation, essentially. I've discovered if you if you have enough jobs in a location, you can do whatever you want. This is my new economic rule. I call it the meat packing rule. Oh, oh, but we're allowed to kill meat packers because we also employ them. Nobody else is going to employ the meat the meat packers, so obviously we get to kill them. Which would you rather have? Some meat packers die or none of them working here in this local economy with no jobs. <laughs> what I thought. So, you know, come to Jack's Island. Don't mind the fact that there's an ice cream parlor in the middle of an island with nothing else going on. Also, bring all your money because I haven't thought the economy out. Okay, that's enough time to bring... <laughs> yeah, take all your money to the island. Does Jake Hall ask you to bring your money? He probably doesn't. They never do. Not directly. Does anybody know about the Jake Hall Island more than me? I've only read a couple of stories. If you have a good, good story, like a like a big, like, vice-like documentary or something on Jake Gyllenhaal Island, let me know. I want to find out what's going on with them robes. You know, you have to buy robes. You don't think about that with, like, L. Ron Hubbard and shit in the 50s because it's hard to follow a cash trail. But it's 2020. So if somebody orders a hundred fucking Colt robes, like, that's an internet order. And it's got to be traced back. So somebody had to drop off the Colt robes on Jake Gyllenhaal's property or shit, you know? Nobody's really as interested in this as me, but I could form a cult, and so I'm always fascinated by cult leaders, and Jake Gyllenhaal's now a cult leader. Did he play the Joker? No, that was Jared Leto. Is it Jared? Have I gotten them confused this whole time? Is Jared Leto on the island? It's Jared Leto, isn't it? Jake Gyllenhaal's fine, isn't he? Oh, shit, I'm so sorry, Jake Gyllenhaal. It's because I've been watching your sister in the deuce all weekend. Oh, shit. I've been watching Maggie Gyllenhaal all weekend? I was talking about Jared. I'm so sorry. Once again, I am one of the at least 10 million people who have confused Jake Gyllenhaal and Jared Leto. <laughs> okay, so that was... I'm sorry. I don't know anything about Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, really. I know that he acts with his eyes that that Jake and Maggie Gyllenhaal are siblings and that she took all the acting talent where she doesn't have to use her face and she can just like she'll just like have the same face for the hour but she'll use a different voice and body posture and stuff and then Jake Gyllenhaal's acting is like 40% in his eyes where he just bugs his eyes out of his head and he's like I'm a jarhead I'm an enemy I you know his movies have weird titles with one word, jarhead, enemy, etc. Okay, so now that I've tried to walk that back, I'm really, I'm really... Oh, that's right, Jake Gyllenhaal was Donnie Darko, wasn't he? That was his start, wasn't it? Pretty funny. Why are you wearing that stupid human suit? Uh... Hmm. 
So now I gotta find out about Jared Leto. So wait, Jared Leto was always shit, wasn't he? Wasn't he always weird and creepy? And then he had the rock band. Thirty seconds to Mars. That's why they call it Mars Island. Okay, we need to stop talking about. Okay, all right. Everybody who mentions my so-called life, it was twelve episodes, twenty-five fucking years ago. Get over it. Get over it. Get the fuck over it. <laughs> stop citing it like it was like it like it made people's names or like it was a big thing. It wasn't. It was 12 episodes that you watched after school. Nobody else gave a shit about that TV show. No, Firefly was big, and adults watched that. There's a difference. Veronica Mars was big, and adults watched that. My so-called life is something that a bunch of teenagers watched, and they thought people gave a shit about. 90210 was big, and adults watched it. Melrose Praise was big, and adults watched it. My so-called life was canceled because a bunch of teenagers watched it, and that was it. <laughs> And all of those stars have gone on to big things. I can't believe that people are still Claire, whatever her fucking name is, and still talking about my so-called life after she held helmed Homeland for like 20 years. It's still on almost, isn't it? Didn't it just end? I don't give a shit about her name. <laughs> Claire Danes was on a show that she helmed for eight years with Mandy fucking Patankin, and she's still... My so-called life, and she had a pixie cut, and she was in Romeo plus Juliet. I don't say and when I talk about it, because the title had plus, so it's Romeo plus Juliet, and it's still the best version I think of when I think of Romeo plus... Ju I mean Romeo and Juliet. I see it because I think of it as Romeo's plus Juliet in my head because it's my favorite rendition. The boys were so cute, and they had wings. And Lord of the Rings is really the best movie franchise of all time when you think about it. Same woman. Same woman. Same woman. Same woman. Same woman. Horn dog. I call, I call her the horn dog. I'm sorry, Five. I Here's the thing. I'm not roasting you intentionally, though. So it's really just more of like an area. It's like an American wildfire situation where uh, a whole area is getting roasted. It's not personal. It's just, I consider, I call this an Amazon rainforest. I'm trying to burn a lot of things down for a little bit of enrichment. Just a little bit of, I'm burning a lot of long-term growth down for just a quick boat, quick a buck. It's called the Amazon rainforest method. Boom. I took it away from America for a second. <clears throat> my fingers flew over the keyboard, the story evolving in front of my eyes. Uh-oh. I'd like to have been able to take credit for it. But the truth is, I wasn't sure where the words came from. Not from me, or my conscious mind at least. I was just a conduit. A helpful vessel with ten fingers and a trusty laptop. Uh-oh. My phone beat beside me, interrupting my flow. I paused at the screen. My half-constructed sentence was now refusing to finish itself. Damn it. 
Already annoyed with whoever had interrupted me, though they couldn't have known they were bulldozing into my first productive writing session in a week, I snatched up the phone and flicked on my screen. Sir, I saw at the top. My anger abated somewhat, or at least my willingness to show it. I opened the message. What are you up to, kitten? I glanced at my watch. It was the middle of the afternoon. I knew he was still on shift. I also knew if I was going to get this scene finished before the kids came home, I had to get a move on. Writing. I fired back. You're writing? Yeah. There was a pause, and Sir began typing. Your erotica? Yes, I responded. Another quick pause. I stared at that sentence, my fingertips itching the words to finish its teetering from surging forward at the call and disappearing forever. You got your plug-in? I rocked slightly in my seat and felt the plug shift, teasing sensitive nerve endings. That was the rule. If I was riding my erotica, I did it plugged. Sir's rule, but I liked it. It teased me, reminded me that I was a sexual woman, and helped my sensuality come out in my words. Yes, good girl. Now save what you've got. I blinked down at my phone, confused. What? Save it. You've done enough for the day. Oh, no. No, no, no. I was not. I had not. I need to just have the heroine escape this tricky circumstance, and then I had a panty moistening. <laughs> there is some to write. I had it all planned out, but I had been thinking about it since I woke up in the morning. It was going to be incredibly hot. The phone beeped again. You saved it? I didn't get an acknowledgement, kitten. I had saved because a smart writer saves every time they stop for more than three seconds anyway, then tapped out a message. Hey, fuck you, lady. I'm not quite done yet. I just need to finish up a scene. Three kisses to take the sting out of the refusal. You are done. Close the laptop. Now, kitten, tell me when you've done it. Fuck's sake! Seething! I slammed the laptop closed with more force than necessary, covering that noise out of the next message coming through. Go upstairs and get your special bullet. Then, get in the car. My special bullet! Well now, that took the edge off my frustration, and fast. It was a new toy, Wi-Fi enabled, and we'd only just started to explore its possibilities. I hoped he was on a long break. I hurried upstairs and grabbed my bullet from my bedside drawer, switched it on as I raced back down the stairs, my phone in my other hand powering up the app. My little bullet buzzed once. The light flickered on and then went silent, which is how it would stay until Sir decided he wanted to start playing. I got in the car and shoved my sunglasses on my face, and then, before I opened the garage door, I slid my bullet down into my underwear, nestling it right against my clit. I started the car and raised the garage door in quick succession, pausing to send a quick tense text before reversing out. I'm in the car with my bullet. Good girl. He must have been waiting for me because the response came through before I'd switched the seat off and tossed the phone onto the passenger seat. I grinned as I maneuvered out of this tight garage space, anticipation making my nipples peak and my clit pulse, but the bullet remained silent and still. When I pulled out onto the street and made it all the way to the traffic lights at the top of the road, the bullet was still silent. I checked my phone to make sure it was connected. It was. He was just toying with me. The phone rang as I waited at a red light, and it was Sir... Hey, I murmured when the call connected. Where are you? 
at the traffic lights at the top of our street, turn left. I flicked my indicator. <laughs> Where am I going? Anticipation had me squirming in my seat, the combination of the butt plug and the bullet wedged in tight. It was enough to have little sparks of pleasure lighting me up, and the thing wasn't even on yet. That's the last I hear out of you, he said, unless it's answering my questions or begging. Turn left. The light changed, and I drove forward, guiding the car out onto Highway 7. The bullet turned on full force at the same time, causing me to fumble with the wheel. I made an inarticulate noise, somewhere between a cry and a gasp, and he chuckled. Please, it's too much. I spread my legs slightly, trying to ease the pressure and the sharp pleasure pain that's buzzing right against my clit. With my foot jammed onto the accelerator, my efforts were feeble at best, though, and I knew I wasn't allowed to shift it with my hands. I clutched the steering wheel with my white-knuckled grip. Please, sir, it's too much. Down. Could you turn it down, please? I waited, so tense in my seat that my thighs were shaking, for several long seconds until the high-pitched whine of the bullet eased somewhat. I blew out a moan as I relaxed, the little vibe no more than purring now. Enjoy this reprieve, he said. It won't last long. Turn on to Grant Street. I continued down Highway 7, my hips rolling and my pelvis muscles squeezing as I started to work on the bullet. Oh, that felt good. Traffic was heavy, and it got me an extra thrill to know that none of the people in the vehicle surrounding me had any idea what I was doing. It turned me on so much, I felt my orgasm rise up, ready to come forward on command. Sir, can I come? I asked quickly. It was right there, right there. All I needed was permission and the bullet cut off. Frustration hissed between my teeth, and he laughed. That was too easy, kitten. Tell me when you're on Grant. It was another two miles to Grant Street, but Highway 7 was a fast road, and the traffic was moving at a good pace. It was only a couple of minutes before I signaled the turn. I'm here. The bullet turned on again in full force. I groaned, folding over slightly in my seat, but I did not complain. The high-intensity vibrations brought my orgasm rushing back into a powerful surge. Sir, can I come? It was a high-pitched squeak. Didn't really matter what he said. I was coming either way. I just have to face the punishment if the answer was no. Yes, kitten. Oh, thank fuck. I held onto the wheel for dear life and did my best to keep my foot steady on the accelerator as it washed over me. It was a heady wave of ecstasy that my toes curling in my shoes and my road wavering in and out of focus in front of me. I started twitching, the vibe too high, too hard against me. The rippling pleasure subsided and my pelvis jerked and spasmed. Down, I gasped. Please, sir, turn Turn right on the 96th Street. What? Did he not hear me? I gritted my teeth, my whole body shaking, and the bullet tortured me, buzzing hard against my hypersensitive clint. Sir, are you on 96th? Almost. Turn right, and then keep going. He hung up. Bastard. 
I was tempted, oh so tempted, to reach down and yank it out. I didn't, though. I held on, my breath crumbing in pain little whispers, and then suddenly, out of nowhere, the vibrations dropped. I gasped, dropping my head and sobbing slightly in release, almost missing my turn. A moment later, it fired into high again, and then down, and then up, and then down, over and over again, until I was waiting desperately for the surges, pushing against them in a frantic attempt to come before he took it away again, my earlier pleas to stop it all forgotten. There was never quite enough this time. When I reached the end of the suburbs, 96 disappearing into the countryside, I paved road about to devolve into dirt. I was frustrated, so wet I thought it might be noticeable when I got out of the car. I was all but snarling with need for a second. Come, I was swearing a blue streak when I saw the cop car parked at the side of the road. The driver's side of the vehicle opened as I approached the officer who stepped out tall and broad, a slight beard dapping his face. Fully dressed in uniform, he left his helmet on but sunglasses and shielded his eyes. I slowed as he gestured me to pull from behind his vehicle. My car bumped up against the grass and dirt on the verge as I drew to a stop and pulled it into park, killed the engine. He was at the door before I unbuckled my seatbelt. Strong hands tugged at the door handle, and he swung them open and filled the face. Out! I did as I was told, registering dimly that the bullet had stopped, was silent in my underwear. The damage was done, though. I was hot and swollen between my legs, my thighs shaking. He took a grip of my wrist and towed me along until he stood in front of the cop car. He reached back with his free hand and came back with a pair of handcuffs. I watched soundlessly as he wrapped them around one wrist and then the other. He spun me round and then bent me forward over the hood, making sure my arms were stretched out in front of me. Keep them there, he said, his hands resting on the handcuffs. Just like that. Don't move. I jerked my head in a nod too overwhelmed to speak. He then felt his hands running down my back and reached my jeans. He cupped my ass, thumbs delving gently into the crease. Fuck. Look at that, he muttered. You've soaked through. Did you come again? No, sir. My voice was a breathy whisper. But you wanted to, huh? Yes, sir. Let's see if we can fix that. He reached around and unbuttoned my jeans and then drew them slowly over my hips along with my panties and delved between my thighs and I mewled, thinking that he was going to stroke me. But he just took the bullet and put it on the hood, right in my line of sight where my cheek was pressed against the sun-heated metal. I stared at it, lurid pink against the white of the vehicle, shining with arousal. Fucking, you're ready to be fucked, aren't you? Rather than answer, I lifted up on my tiptoes and tilted my pelvis in open invitation. Smack! His hand landed hard on my ass, making me cry out and jolt forward against the unyielding font of the car. Are you ready to be fucked, kitten? Yes, sir. We were on a public highway, and even though it was a quiet stretch of road, another vehicle could come along any second. I wasn't thinking about that at all, though. I was waiting to be taken, my eyes still on my toy, and my ears picked up on the sound of a zipper descending and a quiet rustle of clothing. Jesus, kitten. He pushed in one long, slow thrust, going all the way to the hilt, the bullet having aroused me to this point I could hear the slick sound of my flesh giving way to him. I gasped, my stomach convulsing as he slid over my G-spot, the orgasm I'd almost had whispering back into existence. Hard, I managed. Hard. 
please, sir. Since you asked so nicely, kitten. He gave it to me, fucking with explosive thrusts that pushed me hard against the heart, the metal digging into me, and bound hands useless in front of me. I moaned and gasped, turning my head to press my forehead to the hood. God, I was so fucking close. I just needed... He had both hands on my hips, holding me in place as he slammed into me. He, But he shifted his grip, planting one firmly in the middle of my back, holding me in place, and the other reached around and slipped into my heat, fingers sliding along either side of my clit and squeezing lightly. Oh, Jesus, fuck. It took more for, it took more for thrusts before I detonated, coming with a strangled scream. He kept pounding, his hold on my clint relentless, his hand on my his hand on my back preventing me from moving away as I rode out of the aftershocks, my body jolting as he lost his rhythm, chasing his own orgasm. When he came, he folded over me, pushing me down harder into the hood, making me feel the weight of him, the strength. Then, just as quickly, he stood and slid free. I dropped down off my tiptoes, but he didn't lift me off the hood and I wasn't sure I could. Fingers went to my ass, stroked across my cheeks before gripping the base of the plug. Next time, I'm going to pull this out and fuck you here. I let out a little yelp of alarm, and he laughed. Here, kitten. Gentle hands righted my clothing and then lifted me up and into him, resting my body against his as he reached around and uncuffed me, massaging my wrists where the metal had dug into my skin. You all right? He murmured into my ear. Uh-huh. I managed. He tucked the handcuffs back into his belt and then hugged me, his chin dropping down onto my shoulder. That was awesome, kitten. I like your new toy. I liked it, too. Summoned by Charlie Mack, spelled C-H-A-R. L-I-M-A-C, all in word, Charlie Mack, summoned. All right, guys, I'm literally out of requests. Thank you so much. That's the show. You got to keep on going. Come on out next Friday with requests if you want me to read more. Obviously, I could use more smut, and obviously, you should bring me some more funny smut, because I've got a feeling next Friday you could use a laugh as well. Thank you to everybody who came out, who tipped who showed up, who said something nice, who sends me something throughout the week saying they're looking forward to it, who spreads the show on social media. You can find me at Real Grey Knight on Twitter, at R-E-A-L-G-R-E-Y-K-N-I-G-H-T on Twitter. You can also find me at Grey Knight Erotica, G-R-E-Y-K-N-I-G-H-T-E-R-O-T-I-C-A. Uh, Tumblr, that's the blog there. I put a quite a bit of content up there. Patreon, all the rest. Grey Knight, Grey Knight, Grey Knight. You can search for me. If it doesn't say Warhammer, it's probably me. My name's Jack. Go ahead. Say hi sometime. I'd love it. Appreciate you all very much. Next Friday, if you're enjoying the podcast and all the rest, please consider reviewing and telling a kinky and understanding friend. That's it for all of us. From me, from Allie, I really appreciate all of you. Hope you're enjoying the content. Thank you, thank you, thank you. See you very soon. Goodbye. Ooh. It's been a week.
You you try entertaining with these fucking headlines. I think you should try it. You should come down to the music lounge and you should put some music in for me to listen to. Thank you to everybody. Hope to see you all real soon. If you're not going to come down for music, see you next week. Hope to see you around the server. We've got tons and tons of October shit. That's what I should have said at the end of the podcast. Sorry, Serena. We've got tons of October shit all month long. Check the calendar on the left-hand side for more information. I'm going to be watching spooky and scary stuff. I'm going to be showing uh, Lovecraft County. Uh, just haven't scheduled the nights yet for that one. Uh, myself is what I'm looking forward to. We're going to be doing spooky, scary stuff all fucking uh, month long. Please come out. Please come and see it. Uh, you know I want you to. All right, guys. Thank you. Thank you very, very much. See you. Bye. Oh.